It's Jeremiah 31, verses 7 through 14. For this is what the Lord says. Sing aloud with joy for Jacob, and be joyful with the chief of nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. Among them, those who are blind and those who limp, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together. They will return here as a great assembly. They will come with weeping, and by pleading, I will bring them. I will lead them by streams of waters, on a straight path, on which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who is stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion and will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain, the new wine, the oil, and over the young of the flock and herd. And their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. Then the virgin will rejoice in the dance, and the young men will old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy and comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And I will refresh the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. A reading from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. Regarding his plan of the fullness of times, to bring us all together in Christ, to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, and in him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Reading from John, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior, because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. The word of the Lord. Uh, so this would be the second week after Christmas, or the second week in Christmas. Um, this would this is all these are the scripture readings for this coming Sunday, uh, not this last Sunday. And uh, so we have this is one more week of Christmas, and then if you see on your outline, um, I just kind of put in all of the major time period. So the Christian New Year starts at Advent, and then we have Christmas time or Christmas tide. Epiphany will be the next Sunday after that, after this Sunday. Then Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost, and then Ordinary Time. And then we start it all over again. And so um, these are thematic verses. These are thematic scriptures. Uh, we're following year B now in the lectionary. And if you read, uh, if you look at, we're following major themes and stories which incorporate all of the scriptures over the course of three years. And so the theme of today's scriptures, uh, scripture readings, uh, definitely points out the blessings. Uh, so we're still uh, in the Gospels speaking of Christ's incarnation, but I want to remind us of Psalm 23, since it ties in um, quite a few things that are mentioned, <clears throat> like in Jeremiah, that he'll shepherd his people. So Psalm 23 is obviously very famous. A lot of people know it. Uh, Ned Berube at our 10-year, is it 15-year? 15-year anniversary as a church uh, commended us and exhorted us to all memorize Psalm 23. It's only six verses, and we're just going to read, um, we'll, we'll read verse 1 and 5 and 6, just to kind of uh, capitulate it. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, verse 1, right? Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So um, something interesting is, is how we understand Scripture is there's always a double meaning. So uh, yes, this is talking about Christ, and this is a Christocentric and Christotelic uh, psalm, but... Uh, has anybody ever wondered, like, you know, those like Isaiah 53 passages where we're like very clear that that's pointing to Christ. And so you would ask a modern day Jew, like, how would you interpret this? Because you don't believe Jesus was the Christ. Does anybody know how they would interpret it as the suffering servant? They would interpret it as Israel, as a body of people, is the suffering servant. And um, surely if you wanted to... Uh, 
practically play that out, the Jews have been treated and mistreated, mistreated uh, for uh, more than uh, two millennia ever before the first century. And so they would see that as that the body of Israel, that the Jewish people are the ones who are suffered and mistreated and take the shame of the Lord. Now, I don't know how they quite get that, you know, that they atone for sin, you know, because that's pretty didactic in there, but, but besides the point. Um, but just saying that, you know, there's multiple uh, levels of interpretation and principles at play here. But so um, one thing we'll, we'll get to when we get to the Gospel of John reading is that uh, most things that apply to Christ— as far as the blessings go, we get because we're heirs of Christ, right? It's not just some spiritual, uh, pietistic blessing thing that Jesus did all these things and all these things apply to him, and then we're his children and he gives us, or we're adopted through him, and we get a part of that, but not quite the same thing, and it's different, and... Uh, because, you know, he's like the favored son and we're kind of like the bastard children. It's not like that. Um, there really is, a, I think there's a good reason why, uh, even though modern you know, Jews reject Christ, have a good reason to say like this psalm is about Israel, right? Um, and so, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And uh, that's something I think it's hard to hold on to. I think those are hard to, uh, uh, um, you know, materialize when uh, you've been locked down for a year and, uh, and you know, all, whatever life, whatever, whatever you want to view as a negative thing, um, it's hard to view that surely this is goodness and mercy from the Lord. And so... Uh, we might, we're not going to go directly through any passage of Scripture. We're going to look at kind of all of them together in various parts. Um, but starting in Jeremiah, um, one of the themes here is, I'd have to open it up to see what verse it is, but saying, talking about the remnant being restored or, or um, being brought back. And so this is a constant theme in Scripture of the remnant of Israel, of that there's a faithful remnant small portion of God's people that have been reserved to, especially in the old covenant, to be brought back to the land, always speaking of of either coming back to build a temple or to do something. And um, that's a theme ever since Genesis, um, ever since the first couple, <coughs> couple chapters of scripture. And I just want to cause us to meditate. I think we've... Um, depending on how long you've been here, it's been, you know, preached on. We've had several different sermons on it uh, that could go at length in series on just the remnant principle. But I want to cause us to think about why God does that is, is um, you know, he's always calling, like, the sons of Issachar knew the signs of the times and knew what to do in the day, right? They weren't just this one select group of people that were the only true followers of God in the time, right? But they were a select group of people that had wisdom and insight in a particular way and knew how to operate, 
right? That didn't mean that everybody else was a false convert or a false Yahweh worshiper, but it did mean that God chose apart a, a remnant, a, a select group of people to do something special, right? And so that's always in uh, kind of God's plan. That's always what God is doing in the earth. And I think that works out in the macro and the micro. And just in an overarching principle way, you know, there's, um, you know, separating the wheat from the tares. Uh, without getting into the direct um, parable, we could talk about separating the wheat from the tares in our lives. Of what are we going to do to those things that are, uh, you know, as as the one of the Corinthian passages talks about, that we're going to those things that are built on straw and hay and, and wood or those things that are made of precious metals that are going to last, right? We have those things in the, in a micro level in our own personal lives that God is calling us to. And, um, those things that glorify God and he's going to use us as a special purpose in our individual lives. But the same thing applies at a macro level to, um, to nations, to time periods, to the church at a particular time in history, right? Think of uh, the Reformation. You think of the church universal then, surely there were people who you could say were true or false converts, but there was a particular group of people who were called to do a particular thing. You know, even um, going back to Bible translators a hundred years before the Reformation really kicked off. And so I just want to put that out there as that's something, to, that's always a, a principle in um, scripture that he's calling a group of people to move forward for our particular plan uh, in the earth and know how to operate. And that something you should pray towards and seek to be, how would you cooperate with God to uh, to be that, or at least to see what's going on. And so um, moving on in Jeremiah, one of the other things that I absolutely love, I think it's verse 10. Let me get to Jeremiah. Uh, verse 10, the second part. Uh, he who scattered Israel will also gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And so when we're talking about blessings, uh, one of my life verses, uh, I guess you can say if people do those, right, uh, is Joel 2.25, uh, which says like all that the locusts and the um, destroying locusts has destroyed, I will restore. It's about restoration. Here we go. Joel's a hard one to find. So Joel 2.25, right? Just keep this in context of Jeremiah uh, 31.10. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. And so if you go back to chapter 1, you just look at verse 4, where the cutting locust, the swarming locust, he's... Joel's prophesying of this army, this thing that's going to come and destroy and pillage and take and take and take. And then, uh, you know, 225 says that I sent among you. And so 
one of the ways that we don't recognize God's blessings is we always want to get to the blessing and we want to get to the material and we want to get to the things that the, the restoration, right? Because that's the feel good. But uh, same thing here in Jeremiah and the same thing in Joel is that before that, the Lord sends swarming locusts. He scatters them. He disperses them. You know, um, if, it if I was God, I probably wouldn't have had a division of two kingdoms and an exile and all these things. And whenever Israel cried, I'd just give them whatever they want. And that would shut them up. And I can uh, do whatever I want because they're going to be quiet. And I would just, I want to do it the same way God did it because my motives aren't as, as pure, not nearly, or maybe not pure at all. Um, but just think about how Jeremiah is saying that. He, like, it's the Lord who scatters. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's the, and then, so when we get to these blessings, um, you know, there's various reasons why the Lord, uh, uh, sends forth, you know, swarming locusts, you know, and the Joel quite literally armies, um, sends people into exile, sends, you know, Pharaoh, rotten kings, Herod, um, you know, like you have to kind of think in God's blessing, even in the incarnation, that God ordained and knew about that Herod would send forth his army to execute all the children under two years old in Bethlehem. And he prophesied about that in uh, the, the Old Testament, right? And it's quoted right there in Matthew. And God's not reacting to, re reacting to these things like, oh no, what am I going to do now? And I'm going to uh, let's get, let's get the Christ out of there. You know, all these things were ordained. He even foretells about it in the old Testament that these things are going to happen. And so there's various reasons why he scatters and sends forth swarming locusts. Uh, a lot of time it's to, uh, you think of like in the time of Joel, it was, uh, because, uh, the people needed some cleansing and, uh, they needed to be brought back to the Lord and everything. But, uh, I just I think that's something that we often miss is that when we have those times and situations that cause us to question God's goodness and what well I would I want His blessing now I want this I want it to go this way uh, you know we could always question why isn't it going that way but the point is you know surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When the Lord wants to restore, he will restore. But uh, he, the Lord delights to give his people blessing. It's just part of, of who he is. Um, we see that in, in Malachi 3.10. This is just particularly about the tithe. Um, where he says, put, this is you know, where the Lord says, put me to the test and bring forth uh, the full tithe. And will I not pour forth blessings from heaven until there is no more need? Right? We see it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Right, That's Matthew, if you were following Matthew, Matthew 6, and then shortly after Matthew 7, he says, ask and you will receive. Right, The Lord doesn't cause us to pray things that uh, he doesn't direct us very clearly to pray things that he doesn't want to answer. 
right? He wouldn't say, pray for daily bread so that I may give it to you, uh, or pray for daily bread so that I may withhold it from you, and so that you'll really want it, and then maybe uh, after you earn a couple more credits or pay a little bit more, then I'll give it to you, right? It's just not who, I think we have this distorted view of kind of God's, God's fatherhood and how he likes to give, um, give forth blessings. So it comes out very clearly when we get to Ephesians. Let me turn there. So starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So how many people read that and are like, well, that's the heavenly places, Stephen. That's not like, <laughs> that's the, he blessed us in spiritual things and in heavenly things. And that doesn't mean I'm going to get that new winter coat I wanted for Christmas. Surely that's true, that you might not get the new winter coat you wanted for Christmas. But, uh, but Lily did, because I got it for her. But um, I just want to kind of, so go from there, and then I think instantly we have these pietistic thoughts that these are just uh, ethereal, spiritual things. They're in heaven, they're far off, they're distant. We know that Jesus' blood, he died on the cross, it covers me, I'm forgiven of sins, uh, and that... I've got some kind of treasure in heaven, and I don't quite know what that is, but I know I really would like a nicer car here on earth, or at least a faster one. Uh, and that, I think that's the kind of way we tend to think in our kind of pietistic nature. But let's jump to verse 10 real quick and read, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven, all things, I'm sorry, all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And so, um, I've been listening to James Jordan's uh, Worldview Lectures, which is on the, Theop if you go to the Theophilus podcast, um, that's James Jordan, Peter Lightheart, those kind of branch of people, and their school of, uh, they put James Jordan's tapes, cassette tapes, probably from the 80s, uh, on the podcast, I've been listening to them, and he goes through a biblical worldview, uh, and he does, I think each one is about like 90 minutes. Uh, Greg's not lying. If you were here in the old church, you can fit 90 minutes on a cassette tape, and that's how long we would do podcasts, because you can put 90 minutes on a cassette tape, and the church started in 2013, so just, <laughs> that's how far behind we were, at <laughs> technology-wise. But um, but I think there's like, I think I went through five of them so far and he just brings out from Genesis, the first theme or the first, uh, world view thing you should get out of the scriptures, which I didn't get at all, uh, after reading Genesis dozens of times, uh, was, uh, obviously goes through the, he goes through the sanctuary theme, how Eve, I'm sorry, how, um, uh, the garden was uh, then pictured in the tabernacle and in the temple, but mostly brought out that I've missed for a long time is 
how God from the very beginning is making clear that his intentions are to bring heaven and earth together and how he uses his people to bring heaven to earth and, uh, and to change the earth. And I would really suggest listening to them, uh, especially if you like more heady, uh, deeper things. It's a little hard to track with because he, you really need a good background because he doesn't tell you like what's happening in the scriptures. He just says, remember in the temple and this and this, and he jumps all around. So uh, it's a little hard to follow, but it's very beneficial. And so uh, when it says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, this should change our way of thinking, right? We should read that. And the reason it's in the scriptures is because God wants to conform our mind to his mind. So he tells us how to think. Here it is, that we are blessed in every way uh, through Christ in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And so this should radically change our mind. This should change our paradigms on how we think, how we live. There's um, no reason ever in any second to not be grateful and praise the Lord, right? We could say that. I can say that theoretically, uh, but, but then I might spill my coffee later or something, and I'll be mad because I'm entitled to that coffee, and it's what I want, and, it didn't, and life's not going the way I want it to go. And so it frustrates me because I'm not God, and I want to be. And, but, but that's not how God wants me to see it. That's not how he wants us to change our mind and our way of thinking and to know these things. And um, I was like, as I opened up in prayer, uh, I think it's funny, like, because in our modern way of thinking in Revelation, is it three or four, um, where after there's a vision in heaven and uh, all the myriads of angels are singing and, and praising the Lord and it says, you know, that we'd return to him blessing, every blessing and honor and strength and power be unto him. And uh, I was hoping that we'd get the blessing. <laughs> But it's us praising and the angels praising and rendering back blessing to him and power and might and majesty and all these things. And so that's how the Lord wants to change our mind. But let's not get pietistic about it. Because in the pl- as the plan for the fullness of time in verse 10, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Right? God's eternal plan is to bring heaven to earth, right? And Ephesians tells us that's through us, right? As by giving us the blessing, by choosing us, by predestining us in love, we are going to be the ones who bring forth and unite things in heaven and things on earth for his glory. Um. And so we see that uh, all over Scripture, right? In the Lord's Prayer, in in uh, in um, just about every part of Scripture when we're looking for it. And so uh, that means bringing forth, like as it says, we're sealed in the Holy Spirit to the praise of His glory, and all these things. Like uh, everywhere we're going, right? I think it's Romans that says we're the fragrance of Christ. Might not be Romans, but um, 
everywhere we're going in the earth, we're trying to transform it into a sanctuary for God. We're actually going to change the landscape that we're going to see in Romans. But just to tie in, we don't normally read the psalm. Psalm 147, verse 15 Um, actually, I start with 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. Right? Here's how he's blessing us. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow. So he sends all these things, right? And often, uh, like I like all those things, peace, um, snow uh, strengthens the gates, commands, <laughs> right? Uh, all over, especially the Psalms, David is speaking of the commands being a blessing. Um, partially because uh, I was just talking with a gentleman the other day of of uh, you know how the the law is grace. Right when we read in John that you know uh, the law came through Moses, grace, truth, and grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean they're opposite. That just means that we didn't have the power or the ability to do the law. Right, all over Romans he upholds Paul upholds the law, but verse nine in Ephesians, skipping back to Ephesians, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. One of the ways the command is a blessing is that he gives it to us. If you didn't know what the command was, you can't do it, right? That's why I like good communication, uh, setting boundaries sometimes, uh, talking, right? Like uh, how many times has there been a disagreement in roommates or marriages or something? And it ends up, you know, I expected you to do this. And the other person is like, well, I didn't know. You didn't tell me, <laughs> Right? That's not how God operates. He's the best communicator uh, that ever was. Uh, he makes it very clear, um, those expectations. And so, first of all, the commandment is a blessing because he tells it to us. He lets us know. He makes it known to us. What would we do if we didn't know his command? We'd be lost. We'd be groping around in the dark. Uh, you know. And he doesn't only just give us the command. He explains it to us. He gives us case laws. He gives us historical narrative stories behind us to help us get it, right? Um, you know, another way, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there, um, is uh, if you haven't just kind of tying in, you know, bringing heaven to earth, if you read the Exodus narrative, it doesn't, it says the finger of God wrote the command on the stone tablets, Moses brought it down. And there's a couple mentions in like the angel of the Lord going before the people of Israel and some things. But then you get to the first century in the scriptures, you've got Acts 7.53 where uh, Stephen is preaching and says that the commands or the law was handed down or delivered by the angels. You have the same thing in, in Galatians 3.19, speaking of uh, the angels bringing down the law. And what exactly that means or how that happened, 
I don't know, but I do know that there's that precedent in Scripture. And same thing in Hebrews 2.2, which is a little, uh, it doesn't say directly that angels brought it down, but um, but Stephen does say that very directly in Acts chapter 7. And so we have at least a picture of these angelic heavenly beings that we see in the temple, you know, that separated the curtain between the Holy of Holies and even angelic pictures in, in the second uh, vestibule, but not in the common area. And obviously the stone tablets were back in the Holy of, Holies of Holies. But even there we see a picture of the commandments of this, this heavenly law bring, being brought down to earth. And Deuteronomy 4 speaks of this, uh, or at least speaks of the effect of this. <coughs> if you don't know why um, you should study God's law and know it intently, I would um, say read Deuteronomy 4, the first 15 verses, and 1 Corinthians 6, the first, I think it's like 10 verses. And uh, that should give you enough context to really, 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 really want to study the law of God. But just to paraphrase, Deuteronomy 4 says, this is right before the second giving of the Ten Commandments, that when you obey this law, when you do it, that you're going to go into this land and people are going to observe you and they're going to observe your law and they're going to say what righteous judgments that this law is and what awesome God they have because of their law. (laughs) You ever think about that of, Maybe just as uh, an, like nations or something, um, like you know, if there was a more theonomic Christian nation um, somewhere at some point in time uh, that followed God's law and tried to exact it in their people, that would be the effect. Uh, side note: It was Hungary uh, just recently. Their parliament passed a a bill or some kind of law. Um, or order stating that the exact opposite of what America is doing right now, stating that marriage is can only be between, uh, well, they didn't say marriage, they said that the basis of a family can only be one man and one woman, and they did put a law into effect that said the only people that can adopt are married couples who are one man and one woman, because that's the basis of society. And... Uh, in the law they cite, you know, just like we do in our constitution, um, they say creator with a capital C and, and for different reasons like that. But there's a people who are trying to honor the law of God just in their society. And that will probably uh, most definitely prove to benefit them. And so the Lord, all that to say, the Lord blesses us with, with his commands, with knowledge of it, that that's one way that heaven is invading earth by knowing God's will, knowing his law, and doing it. Right? If we were just to think about, uh, in a very practical way, and this is the last on the wall, of uh, how do we, you know, disciple, how do we help people grow in godliness, if it's divorced from the law, like none of it makes any sense. Then you're just pragmatically doing whatever the heck you want to do. And so uh, if we want to see people, if we want to see the love of God grow, if we want to see in people, if we want to see um, them grow in godliness and character and see that heavenly realm that 
you know, in the people of them growing in godliness. It has to be according to the law. And so moving on in Ephesians, um, fathers invest in their children so they might carry on as an extension of their fathers, right? So that's something we see in, in natural law and uh, we don't have to be Christians to understand this. Natural law meaning we see this everywhere in the world. We see this, that's something that we have in us, invested in us as image bearers of God. That um, the pagans, like that's why Paul can write to the Corinthians and the Colossians and, uh, and any culture in the world about fathers and sons because uh, they didn't have to know all this biblical background about it. Uh, Every father knows, I'm the only father here uh, that I know of. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, fathers have this innate, you know, they want, like, what father doesn't want their son to grow up and like what they like, right? Uh, Hilarious side note, because I love my kids, especially uh, Lily's personality. We were driving the car today, and out of the blue, she says, I really like myself because uh, she said she's flexible, um, like she can stretch. <laughs> uh, there was something else, and, and she said, and I'm kind of good at fighting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I was like, yeah, all those are true. Uh, <laughs> and, but we wrestle all the time, right? Like, I don't have any sons, so we wrestle and we fight, and, and she really likes it, uh, and she thinks she's really good at it, and sometimes she'll kick you in the head if you're not careful. And, but fathers, so when we see as God is our perfect heavenly father, he is really, really invested in us. I think often we get into this mindset of this, um, that like God's far away, he's in heaven. Now he's really, really investing in us. We are, he made known to us the plan that he's going to do, and he's using us to unite heaven to earth. He doesn't need us, right? But he really, really wants us. And so just kind of to close in, in John, when it says that he gave us rights, uh, you know, those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Is we, you know, if we really, really, really got that, that means that we get everything that uh, we're not some secondary bastard children who get pushed aside and are, you know, uh, dealt with accordingly. It's we're getting the full rights as children. That means, uh, just like Ephesians alludes to, that we're heavenly children. Don't think about that weird. Just meaning that, like, we're uh, children of God who dwells in heaven. And even, and he's using us to uh, unite those things in heaven, use his glory to bring it to earth. And so I'll close with Romans 8, uh, 19 through something. Um, For the creation waits eagerly, I'm sorry, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so we, as children of God, are bringing heaven to earth. We are going to change the landscape of the earth. That's our mission. The world is going to, through us, who has every spiritual blessing in every place, we will bring heaven to earth. That's our mission. We do it by praise. We do it by bringing forth his commandments. We bring it by uh, having dominion, being fruitful, multiplying, bringing forth godliness, and the such, uh, through, uh, through our Father who pours out his Spirit on us uh, for his glory. So let's pray and worship. Lord, we pray that you would empower us by your Spirit to be uh, doing the things as children you call us to do. Uh, we pray that you would give us insight and wisdom in how to unite uh, the things in heaven and the things on earth. What do you want us to do in our day for your glory that um, as you pour out your blessing that we'd use it to uh, pour forth more blessing and praise to you. Amen. <laughs>